Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, we are getting so pumped up for 2017. We talk about the future of pleasure this year with sex coach Maisha Battle and how to balance taking time for yourself with, uh, I don't know, being out in the world and being political. In that same vein, we also chat to arts consultant Beth Pickens, who has been helping artists figure out how to be their best creative selves while at the same time getting political. Hello. Welcome to 2017. <laughs> happy, happy New Year. All of those things. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess like a few days deep. <laughs> I'm impressed. My first check that I wrote this year for rent, I didn't mess up the date. I weirdly have like a bias against writing the number seven. Like I love the way the six looks, but I hate writing like one seven next to each other. What are you I even talking it's about? Really, Seven's I, the best number. Listen, I know that this is a popular lucky number, but it's not my favorite. But anyway, whatever. It's fine. I'm like, I'm already mentally like looking forward to eight. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking forward to when we never have to write checks again. Like this is it's crazy. There's a shocking amount of check physical check dependency in my life. I don't even want to talk about it. I feel. Yeah, (laughs) I you know, I don't know what happened the last month. I've written more checks probably than in the last like four years. And every time it cracks me up because uh, I I quit writing things probably like five years ago i just like don't write anything down (laughs) but the best part is that every time i write a check i don't recognize my own handwriting and when i hand it to the person i just like smile like good luck cashing oh my god wait so is even your journal digital is like even like notes to self are all like oh yeah no now everything is like digital i just don't i don't write anymore i'm gonna tell you a very embarrassing thing that nobody knows but now the entire podcast world knows is that a couple of months ago on etsy i ordered one of those like uh learn how to write books for kids (laughs) the ones with really (laughs) wide lines where you practice your letters yeah yeah because here's what happened in my defense when i switched over from like french school to american school um i like it, it was like a complete mess like we just like don't write the same and so my handwriting was like handicapped from like high school. Mm-hmm. And then when you stop writing, you j- like, I'm telling you, just like quit writing for a month and then try again. It looks awful. <laughs> it's like, I have, th- I have the worst handwriting of anybody that you know, and I'm not being like self-deprecating. I'm just being real. Like whenever I like fill out forms at the doctor, the nurses look at me like, are you serious? <laughs> and then I have to like dictate the whole thing to them. So it's not a new year's resolution, but at some point when I finish unpacking my boxes, when I find that like Etsy box of like, uh, I don't know, like learn how to write your own name again shit, I'll tell you my progress. I think you should just embrace this. I think that bad handwriting is actually a transgressive quality in women. You know what I mean? In the in the like classic finishing school, women have to print nicely or like write cursive nicely kind of sense. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's not the pressure that I feel. Also, I think like reading and writing is over like 18 months tops. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> okay. So fortunately you have like, forms to fill out here's how i understand all of your predictions which is you are typically like between three and six 
six years ahead of everything. So if you say writing is dead now, it will actually be dead in three to six years. <laughs> I'm telling you, I've been teasing my like young adult like novel to you for years. The one where have I not told you? Yeah, this? yeah. Like, but this is tell, my like dream. Do you want to tell the world? <laughs> well, I mean, I hope somebody writes this, or probably because it's like YA, it probably already exists, and I don't read it, so I don't know that it's out there. But it's like the whole, you know, it's like the end of the world. We stopped writing like centuries ago. And uh, for some reason, like somebody has to like read a scroll. Like that's the only thing that's going <laughs> to save mankind. And there are no more readers or writers left. And so these like kids set on an adventure to like find the last reader. Somebody write this for me. Oh my God, the last reader. It totally, I also love this idea as like a nerdier version of like epic journeys that are like the last like warrior king or the last like princess to whatever. You know what I mean? It's sort of a formula that. No, this is just like the last gif. Like find it. (laughs) (laughs) Final frontier. Um, Yeah, it's just like, please find this. I'm telling you, reading writing is over. I'm, I'm, you know, just so refreshed to hear that you are not, um, you know, doing something like resolving to send more handwritten letters in 2017, which is like where my natural inclination goes. Hell no. That's why I get so mad when I send somebody a present, you know, and you kick the gift box and it's supposed to say like who it's from and then they never send the fucking card with it. Nothing makes me angry. Okay. So that happens all the time. And this is like the number one case for call back to our gifts episode the number one case for ship it to yourself and then reship it and eat the cost because they never include the gift message i know but the reason that i don't ship it to myself is because i don't know how to write anymore remember (laughs) (laughs) so like i need the box maybe you just need like a calling card like you can get pre-printed things that are like like you know amina loves you and just like tuck it in (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that's genius i know yeah because i'm always the person after christmas that's like hey did you get your present for me and everybody's like oh that thing showed up and it didn't have a note on it and i'm like that's right do you do you remember once when i asked you did you get the present i sent you like directly from a website and you like mentioned an item that i did not get you and i was so mad because it was such a good gift that i did not think of for you (laughs) no i I don't remember this is a dangerous game where you were like did you get me the hippo tea diffuser and i was like no but but damn whoever did that is a good gift i was so mad yeah that hippo tea diffuser is so good thanks mercedes oh my god i totally use it i was i was oh, really tempted to man. claim it oh man i depend i depend on a lot on other people writing for me right so now now you know my one secret okay so how else are you going into the new year I'm not a very big on um, like January reset person. And also like I traditionally do not do well in Q1. Like I thrive in Q2 and Q3. So (laughs) I'm I'm not one of those like I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm like not going to do X, Y, Z or I'm going to do more of that. But I am setting some goals. I like to take January to just like goal set for the year and be like, this is what I want to do but I don't feel any pressure to start on them until later in the year. Yeah. I mean, I think of it more as like, I mean, anything that's on a goals list is going to be a multi-year project and definitely not a calendar year project. And so I was like, I I actually this week looked back at um, a bunch of stuff I wrote in late 2015 that was like ridiculously overly ambitious, like goal setting. And it's like, you know what? Like I I scratched off maybe like two of six, but I'm like the other four, I'm like, there's no way this was ever going to happen in in a year anyway. They're like, (laughs) 
They're like mandatory. Become a mogul. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Get rich. (laughs) Not a one year goal. (laughs) Oh, man. Can I tell you one thing that I did, though? Uh, I checked my credit score. Uh huh. It happened accidentally very early in the year. It wasn't like I was planning on it, but I was like reading something and there was a crazy stat that was like, did you know 40% of Americans don't check their credit score? And I was like, I'm that 40% of Americans. Like <laughs> I have no, I have no idea what my credit score is. Like just literally no idea. Cause I'm so afraid of debt. Like, I don't understand how that works. And also I'm just like blissfully didn't want to know. It just like propelled me to check. And I was like, Oh, now I have more more information to make like better decisions about like future goals. See, and it was fine. I, I think that like those type of early in the year things are good in the sense of like okay, like evaluate where things are. Like I think that's actually like a pretty good like regular practice, which is really different than being like okay, exactly where do I want to be a year from today? If that makes sense. Totally. Also, like credit score is easy, right? Because you're just like, oh, I want this number to be better. This number is great. I know. You know it's very like, black and just, white. Like, do you know what your credit score is? No, I don't. And you know what? It's because 40% of Americans. It's a shameful know. story. I was thinking about this as you were telling this. I went to look it up at some point in the past year. And like, I, I was, they give you a series of questions to like, make sure it's really you or whatever. And I, yeah, yeah. They're like, have you lived on this street? Did you ever work here? Exactly. I got stuck. And I totally (laughs) failed to recall like a previous address and then it locked me out. It was like, you aren't who you say you are. And then I was just like, "Eh," and closed the browser tab and never went back to it. And we're literally the same person because apparently I started that process a long time ago because when I got to the website, the website that I use was like, hi, you actually have already registered. And I was like, lies all (laughs) lies but then it's the first of the year what else do you have going on so like i called them and i was like hi your website is lying on me it says that i've registered before (laughs) and they were like two years ago you try to get in here and you could you didn't pass that screen Mm -hmm. and so apparently like i don't remember anywhere i lived in college like that was the problem it was like my dorm address Oof. And I was like, yeah, I don't know this. Any street I've lived on that's a number, like 22nd Street, 8th Street, whatever. Like, I can't I can't actually remember the numbers. That's my issue. It's like I'm blind to numbers. Um, yeah, so oh I guess I God. should do that in the spirit of, like, <laughs> where do we stand? I'll, like, you should do that. Yeah. That's a good resolution. Get your money right. Also, like, that is, like, imminently doable. I know. Like, it's, not like, it's not like become Oprah in one year, you know? How did you know that's on my five-year plan? (laughs) Uh, Become Oprah is my lifetime plan. It's everybody's lifetime plan. Some of us are closer than others, but we'll see. Listen, when you start importing water to wherever you live (laughs) and and start Oprah-style transcending like major geological trend, like political trends, like, please take me with you. That's all I have to say. Oh, my God. Whichever one of us achieves Oprah status first, please take the other. I mean, actually, that will be our definitive answer to who is the Oprah and who is the gale <laughs> the gale right is whoever starts importing their own water <laughs> who has to bring the other one up to their standard of living which like which i i have some suspicions on who it is at this point but you know like, i don't know and your standard of living is like pretty excellent i know like, I know. I, w- I would happily be the Gale to your Oprah any day. Listen, I think that's what makes this relationship work. Either of us would be totally content to be the Gale. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's not like when we finally get our money right um forever forever financial goal mm-hmm. like we'll we'll figure out who is oprah oh my god yeah and well no that's the lesson at the end of this hallmark movie it's like it, it didn't matter ever who was the oprah and who was the gail because you both share the profits <laughs> i know but can i say though gail seems like she is having more fun i mean it's hard to say because like oprah is more well known and has to keep it more under wraps like how much fun she's having <laughs> she's keeping it on the wraps. no i mean she has to do performative fun because of like the magazine covers and stuff although that magazine cover with the lion <laughs> i mean the magazine cover with the lion that's my computer background exactly it's ex it's excellent but i don't know like gail is having gail has so much fun and also like gail is so shady like i love it whenever like oprah is mean to her and she just like pulls the rest of us in and she's like you guys oprah said that my lipstick was not good today you guys oprah said that she didn't like my necklace every time she does that i'm just like gail is winning yeah the case for being gail instead of oprah is strong like is strong it's sort of like a lot of the benefits and none of the the public eye drawbacks none of the pressure (laughs) you know like um maybe one of our goals for 2017 should be to have a lion photo shoot oh my god could we make that happen we could probably make that happen i mean have you seen the behind the scenes of the oprah lion no i haven't (laughs) and i need you to google it right now okay hang on hold on pause button okay so like describing for people at home it is oprah leaning against a giant stuffed lion with a man who looks very much like stanley tucci like adjusting (laughs) the front of her dress <laughs> um yeah wow so this is definitely possible with a stuffed lion no question y- yeah of course i mean an and with a stuffed lion is goals <laughs> next year's holiday card done <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's crazy you know one good thing that you should do for yourself though is to follow stedman on twitter and to like <laughs> get mobile alerts for it Sedman tweets like seven times a year and every time it's incredible. Yeah, let's do a dramatic reading of Stedman's most recent tweets. <laughs> it's all inspirational. Okay, this is really good. In 2017, try not to have the same problems as 2016. That's actually if good, that, good advice, that's Stedman. That's the best advice. <laughs> it's really simple. That's like not resolution based, like in terms of like big goals. It's just like, let's try to strike some problems from the list. <laughs> I know. Play hard so you don't have to become an average player. That's great. <laughs> your most devastating weapon is your willpower wow Uh, wow the right these are (laughs) these are great (laughs) um yeah okay in following following this right now i'm telling you uh work on self so you can empower the people around you if you fall down get right back up what if this is the entire mojo behind oprah you don't know i mean if he is probably doing some whispering into her ear (laughs) (laughs) behind every great woman there is the great stedman there's a great mustache (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i know in 2017 try to not have the same problems as 2016 it's really good excellent actually i'm gonna retweet that right now Uh, 
Um, okay, so speaking of very good 2017 advice, um, we have some really good interviews for this episode. Oh, I'm so excited. Tell me, tell me, tell okay, me. Okay, so first we have our pal Maisha Battle, who, in addition to being a friend of the podcast IRL, is a sex coach and like general like life pleasure guru in a very low-key and non-annoying way. I think we've, we might have talked about her podcast before. It's called Down for Whatever. She's the best. So we talked to her about some ways of having a generally more pleasurable 2017 slash not having the same sex problems as 2016. <laughs> right? It's like in 2017, try to not have the same sex problems. Oh my God. This is like the fortune cookie. Like this Stedman tweet applies to any problem that you might be having. So yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Maisha, thanks for being with us. <laughs> hey, so good to be here with you. Maybe you can tell all of the CYG listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. I am a sex coach. I'm based in San Francisco, California. I started my own business last year uh, called Sex for Life. And really with the goal of helping people have better sex lives to really have full lives. I feel like our sex lives get sort of compartmentalized and you know, we can bring a lot of sexual energy into everything that we do and just have that be a way for us to live in the world a little bit a little bit easier and I know that that's something that people need especially right now. I work with individuals and couples and extended relationships as well if you're in a triad or a quad I would work with you too. It's just a way to get some focused attention on your love life, your sex life, your dating life. I see clients who are looking to meet a partner, so I work with them on their dating and their online dating in particular. But with couples, I work with them around any number of issues related to, you know, issues that they're experiencing in their in their relationships and sex lives. So but I also have a podcast that started when I was in grad school called Down for Whatever, and I interview people about their sex lives. You know, we have a new season starting in March of that, and it's really exciting work for me. Starting that was really to expose people to different types of sex and types of relationships so that people could maybe feel less alone in their thoughts and their desires, because I realized that people were not talking about how they do relationships and how they'd ideally like to be doing them. It's a way for me to sort of put that out into the world. And I, it's a passion project that I love tremendously. Just trying to put a little good in the world. <laughs> oh my God. And I feel like you, you have become someone who I look to in terms of the podcast, your podcast for sure, but also your newsletters in terms of like kind of pleasure as self-care I guess <laughs> as a one yes um, and I that's something that I really want to talk about with regard to the new year because um, I know that when things are politically terrible and it feels like the world is kind of crumbling around you it is like not the sexiest time for most of us <laughs> so I wonder if no. you have thoughts about that like headed headed into like this particular political year I do. And, you know, a desire is cyclical. And that's something that I talk about with my co-facilitator for a workshop that, that I created for women, where we talk about just 
all the factors that can contribute to whether or not you're actually feeling it, right? And one of the biggest factors right now is cold weather. Like that's, I think, compounding all of the things that we're already feeling with political climate and upheaval and the just feelings of being unsure of the future, but it's also really fucking cold. That aspect of of life, which we just sort of weather, literally, we are now like feeling more isolated and more, you know, for lack of a better term, like frigid uh, when it comes to sex. And I also know and have spoken with lots of women who feel isolated from their male partners right now with Trump it really makes you take a step back and think, you know, what is he really thinking about this? Or like, he'll never know what I'm experiencing right now. Like, how do I connect with this person? How do I let them touch me again? And these are really powerful things that people are feeling and thinking right now. And it's not a sexy time at all. And, you know, what I've been telling people is to be okay with that. So one thing to consider is that the cyclical nature of sex means that you will start to feel it again. You know, there's some level of acceptance that has to happen that this is the way that it is now, but it will not be this way forever. So just allow that to unfold the way it will. As you mentioned before, the pleasure as self-care, that is something that everybody has the power to take control over for themselves. And you don't need a partner. You don't need to be in a relationship. And if you're in a relationship, you can really just like force this issue that each of you needs to be masturbating, priming the pump, as I like to say, just keeping some sort of connection to like your physicality and your sexuality while all of this is going on. And it can just be personal. It can be your personal ritual of, you know, this is what I do just to stay to stay sane. More of a maintenance and a tapping into pleasure rather than, oh my God, I'm feeling so like connected and attracted to you right now. And so I'm all my energy is going out. Like that energy can be refocused in to yourself to just to keep you afloat. And we all need that. Yeah. And I feel like I've also heard um, or, or definitely I read a really great essay by friend of the podcast, Collier Meyerson about, um, you know, the opposite being true as well, like looking for more like outward you know physical relationships with other people and like being more interested in sex when everything seems to be difficult or crumbling politically it, it seems like there's sort of a lot of different I mean maybe I was like hyper personalizing too much before but you know what I mean like it seems like the opposite effect is possible as well yeah for sure I'm I'm seeing that as well with some of my dating clients where right after the election they contacted me and they're like you know I know I've been dragging my feet on this and I really need to put some attention into finding a person that I can I can go through this with. There's an understanding that in order to endure, you do need a larger support system and you do need people that get you. So I think there's two sides of it for sure where, you know, that isolation, if you're alone, can feel even more exacerbated. But if you're in a relationship that isolation, it's like you're kind of feeling it together and that creates its own set of issues. So if you're by yourself, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this by myself. I don't want to have to be going through all of these emotions. And wouldn't it be nice just to come home to someone and be able to exchange like 
a snuggle, a cuddle, a touch, you know, touch is super important right now. So even if you are coupled up and you're not really feeling sex, like those moments where you can just connect through touch non-sexually are really, really valuable. I think maybe even more valuable at times than, than having that sexual connection. Yeah. And it's really interesting. So I know you do online dating coaching. You were talking about that. And especially this time of year, I find the ads for that stuff so oppressive and like kind of <laughs> kind of like the wor- almost the worst of the new year new you bullshit. Yes. Um, and so so like so I guess what's your take on that that is different than maybe like a really bad match.com commercial <laughs> how, how is your sort of philosophy about it different because I'm sure it is I'm sure it is. what's what's my what's my tagline <laughs> um don't do this shit alone. Um, no, I, I think I, I think the way that I approach online dating is, I mean, I am a, my relationship, my current relationship is a product of online dating. So I can I can vouch for the the horrificness of the experience, uh, what it can be at times. And yeah, I mean, like I give my clients real talk. This is not something that like you jump on and you find your soulmate the next day. It requires a lot of work, and I think it can be fun work. I think it can be really sexy work, you know, like it can be really (laughs) exciting, and you learn a lot about yourself and what you want through the process, but it's not like you start off the new year and you're like, here's my perfect profile, and like, this is, oh, yes, you. Obviously, we all know that that's that's not the case because we have either gone through it ourselves or we know people who have and they tell us all their stories. So it's a matter of meeting my clients where they're at and like, well, what are you prepared to do? Are you prepared to just put up a profile and start searching? Are you prepared to just put in a username with no information at all and start searching? Because the whole process can be really overwhelming and Sometimes people just need permission to be like, you know what, it's okay to use this tool, which that's how I consider, you know, these platforms, they're tools, they're not the end all be all, but they're a great way to broaden your, your dating pool. I want to give my clients the ability to use the tools in accordance with how they're feeling at the moment. And my personal experience with online dating was every time I desubscribed and resubscribed to a service... I had a different perspective on the process. Sometimes I needed it just to like feel validation for like a few months and be like, okay, I still got it. And then sometimes I really was like, okay, this is what I'm focusing on. And there were definitely little tricks along the way that I learned myself of like how to manage the sense of overwhelming responsibility that can come with being like, I just signed up for a service to like maybe find the person that I'm going to be with. I'd say my approach is very tailored to what the person that I'm working with, like what their needs and wants really are in the moment. If you're just trying to find a hookup, we can do that and make it happen in like a very safe and wonderful way. And if you're looking for the person we can figure out what's the best way for you to approach that. What are the time constraints you have to do that and, and work within that. You wrote this thing in in your New Year's newsletter um, about it being great to focus on being the same you, not a new you in the new year, um, but adding a bit more of the good stuff. And I'm hoping you can talk a little bit more about what that means and that particular philosophy about a fresh start. 
Yeah, I in the last few years I've given up on on resolutions as a former and now occasional like social smoker, you know, it didn't really look for me to ever resolve not to smoke. So super 100% you in all aspects of your life. That is something that I think is an intention that you can set for the year that will result in more benefit to you in those 365 days rather than setting this very high goal and maybe not getting exactly what you want and being disappointed. When in fact, you might have had all of these wonderful experiences along the way. That was something that happened to me in, um, I guess I turned 31 um, and had this like fantastic year of just being with guys that I that really enriched my life and it was because I was I was looking for a partner I was super open to the idea but I was also not putting the pressure on myself to just have a man like just have one and stick with him and be like we're making this work which honestly had been my approach in the past um (laughs) I, I you know I'm being real but like it was really interesting to allow that energy to permeate. And I think it made me more attractive to guys too, because I was just like very open, way more open than I had been about the experience of connecting with another person and looking at what's the benefit of being with this, with this man, what is he bringing to my life? And like, what are the things that like aren't so great too? Like I was very real about those things as well. So the good stuff to me is those experiences that really can sustain you. And at this point in our lives, more so than any other time, I think for our generation, we need those moments and we need those that appreciation of those moments that we have with people. I'm kind of on the cusp of millennials being a little bit older, but You know, I definitely have that type A personality where I want to get shit done and I want to be the best. (laughs) (laughs) And and those aren't the types of mental spaces from which, like, appreciation for the moment come. (laughs) I've really been working, especially after the election, to create communities that that I, I knew were lacking in my life. In San Francisco, that meant for me to reach out to other people of color and to form a meetup group. It's a really terrible time for black people in San Francisco, um, in my opinion. And having other people to commiserate about that situation with has been deeply moving and soul satisfying for me. It's one thing to have these very broad sweeping goals for the new year. I'm going to be this, I'm going to do that. But it's I think way better to identify certain things that maybe you can just expand a little bit on and that can sometimes give you so much more value in the moment than constantly seeking. Yeah, and I think also it's really, it's funny because everything you're saying I'm nodding along with, but I think, you know, at various points in my life I've been better at actually living than others. You know, it's like all of this stuff, I'm sure there's no one listening who disagrees but in terms of practically making that the way you live instead of just like a thing you believe feels feels like a bigger leap, you know, <laughs> like one is. is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it is. I went through therapy. I'm not going to like sit here and be like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I just like I'm 
I'm totally enlightened now. And, you know, uh, no, it's... Don't I, crush I, my I illusions do, of you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not selfish to take care of yourself, to really tap into the things that bring you joy on a daily basis. If that's starting every morning with your favorite cup of tea or coffee, like, and just creating time and space for that. If just doing that and giving yourself that every day is the thing that, you know, will set you up for a better day, you know, just because you've had that time to yourself to not think about anything else, then allow yourself that, you know, it it doesn't have to be these, these big changes. It really is small incremental changes over time. And sometimes the tea aspect, the, you know, sitting down, the ceremony of doing something that is just for you, whatever that is, that can actually open up space for sex. That's something that I, I work with clients on a lot. It's like, well, what do you do in a day to make yourself feel good? If you never feel good, why would you look for it? Why would you look for moments that make you feel good if you never have that experience? You know, like, <laughs> so... Sometimes it's retraining ourselves to like look for pleasure, look for things to make us feel good, look, and then just try to get more and more and more and build on that. I live in California, so <laughs> it's it's how people live out here. But <laughs> yeah. I'm so pleased. I was going to ask you to come back around to pleasure and end on that note, and of course you did it without me even asking because oh. because that's what you're all about, Maisha. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Tell everyone where they can find you and learn more about your work. Absolutely. You can find me at MaishaBattle.com. Um, sign up for my newsletter there. And that will also give you information about my podcast, my coaching services. And you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. And that's at MaishaBattle. And on Facebook at Sex for Life LLC. Awesome. Um, Happy New Year. (laughs) Happy New Year to you. I hope you're getting some form of pleasure. Oh, my God. I love love that as just a general sign off to friends. Like, Happy New Year. (laughs) Hope you're getting some form of pleasure. The other brilliant woman that I talked to this week is Beth Pickens, who is not only a friend of the podcast, but the woman who made me a feminist. I met her when I, I was ugh, when I was a baby feminist and actually met her gearing up for the 2004 Women's March on Washington. So it's sort of a full circle moment. Anyway, Beth works with artists, helping them try to get their money right and get grants. But she's also produced this small book and a series of workshops that are about being an active and engaged person while maintaining your creative practice and your well-being, which I think is going to be a key theme for most of us in 2017, like balancing the stuff that feels kind of creative or apolitical with the political stuff with personal well-being. That's really cool and super important even for people who don't identify as artists, right? Yeah, I mean, basically anyone who is very talented at something that doesn't like scream red light flashing politics or activism. I'm super excited to hear about this. Okay, like, yeah, let's just listen to Beth, like pump us up. (laughs) 
Hi, Beth. Hi, Anne. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for the invite. Very happy to be here. Um, I know, I know you're a podcast mega fan. Oh so. my god, mega fan. I um, follow at least 25 podcasts. Ugh. Anyway, we are very lucky to have you here. I'm hoping you can start off by just telling listeners a little bit about what your work is. Absolutely. I'm an arts consultant. And what that means is I provide career counseling, strategic planning and fundraising services to individual artists and arts nonprofits. And it Based on my background in counseling psychology, I went to graduate school to be a therapist, and then I ran a couple of small queer arts nonprofits, so I have a lot of experience in fundraising and management. And managing artists' feelings about funds. Yes, yes. <laughs> I have definitely a holistic approach to working with the artist, and artists are my favorite people. That's the population I wanted to work with, so I put all of my professional skills into working with them. Okay, so it's a bad time for artists and everyone in America right now. Mm-hmm. I think We're we mourning. Can... It's, it's still morning in America. <laughs> <laughs> different <laughs> MOU MOU fuck you Reagan different kind of morning <laughs> so I know you've been doing these workshops for artists at this particular time talk to me about that yeah so after the election maybe five or seven days in when I was still in the denial phase slash crying slash angrily texting everyone I knew I thought okay what am I going to do what's my first response what's an intelligent response one of the good things about being in a sort of helping profession I have to get my head out of my own ass so I can be of service to my clients which is great because as soon as you help another human being it helps pull you out of whatever muck you're in and so when I started working with my clients again after the election and they were collectively losing their shit I thought I should do something to be of service to the larger life. Los Angeles community beyond my own clients because I can only talk to so many people a week. So I decided to just make a free weekly space that artists in Los Angeles could come to and talk about their reactions to the election, their fears, their where they want to put their energy, solve problems, help each other with accountability and follow through, and just have a social space to deal with this American crisis. Yeah, I think one of the things that I have definitely seen happening with both friends who are artists and um, and friends who don't work in um, overt politics or activism, but who have other talents and specialties, is feeling a little bit of a crisis of conscience of how to be true to their own skills and continue to do what they're good at, but also speak directly to this political moment. What do you what do you tell people with that concern? Well, initially after the election, maybe the first five artists I talked to all said something along the lines of, Beth, should I quit making art and go to law school or go to medical school or work in public policy or run for public office, any number of things, and then following up with something to the effect of, maybe it's selfish now to make art or it's not enough. That was the feeling that this isn't enough. This thing that I love that I'm passionate about isn't enough. And so I wrote up a pamphlet sort of responding to all these fears. And I think it's applicable to people, like you were saying, not just in the arts, but people who are not working directly in social justice or policy or politics, that people somehow feel whatever they're doing isn't enough, which isn't a bad sort of catalyst inside of you. But I like to remind people, including all my artist clients, to think about wherever you are is the place to start. And art, for one thing, is going to help people through this time Art is the most important thing in my life. I mean, that's what gets me through everything. That's what gets me out of bed. That's why I work with artists. And from my vantage point, 
artists have to make art to be on the planet. You know, we have to do the thing we're passionate about to be alive. It's a way we process life. So the things that we're called to do and we want to do with our time, we have to continue doing them no matter the political reality because that will help us add new actions into our lives. So if a person's feeling called to increase their level of service or activism or do it in new ways, a first thing to do is make sure you're taking care of yourself so that you have abundance to share, you know, so that you're not doing activism out of a negative space, an empty cup. You know, this thing that you said about starting where you're at, are there tools or questions that you advise people to ask themselves to figure out where they're starting and maybe what a good first or next step would be? Yes, I have lots of them. I wrote an inventory for people after the election to check in with themselves really first reflect on where are they, what do they have, and how to act. So the first thing I would ask people to think of is, what do you have to offer? Is it time? Is it money? Is it particular skills or tools or physical space? Is it um, previous experience in activism or, or leadership or organizing? That will also help you see what you don't have. If you don't have money to give, then you're not going to give money. If you don't have a lot of extra time, then you'll select something else to give. But it's important to check in to see what do I actually have to give and what do I currently not have to give? And that's a good first step. And then I encourage people to think about what is an area of focus this year in 2017 that they want to focus on that directly affects them. So for instance, for me, I've always been interested in making sure abortion is legal and accessible to people in the US. That's been an area of focus for my activism and philanthropy since my early 20s. Actually, since I was a teenager, I joined NARAL when I was, I think, 13 or 14. Oh, I sent my $10 in. Inspirational. <laughs> After reading an article in Seventeen Magazine in 1989 about Becky Bell, who died of an illegal abortion in Indiana, ever since then, I was pro-choice. So picking an issue that directly affects you, that you want to give resources to, time, money, etc. Then choose an area of focus for the year that does not directly affect you, in which you could be of service to someone more vulnerable or more at risk than you. So one of the first things that comes to mind for me was um, sort of the growing sociological threat to Muslims in America and the threat of the oligarch um, during the election cycle of uh, a list or registering Muslims. I think I saw floating around at one point the idea that all Jews could register themselves in front of Muslims mm. in the U.S. And I'm Jewish. And I thought that's something I could do is rally Jews to protect Muslims. Um, and I thought, well, I can really commit to Muslims in my community this year. That issue doesn't directly affect me. Of course, it secondarily affects me, just mm -hmm. like we're all interconnected. But I, I think it's important to think about how am I under threat and want to respond? And how can I be of service to someone more vulnerable than me? Right. Take me the next step beyond that. I mean, I know, I mean, we talk a lot about self-care and like, you know, you can't help somebody else if you haven't, <laughs> if you haven't helped yourself and you aren't right. coming from a healthy place. But even that to a certain extent can feel kind of selfish or can feel mm -hmm. hard to find where the line is between I'm just retreating. I'm giving myself, I'm making excuses for mm -hmm. not getting involved. I'm talking about myself now. <laughs> this is like a highly personal dilemma versus, you know, I'm doing what I need to, to shore myself up for further action. Right. And, um, and I don't know, what's the advice that you give about finding that middle ground or like where to push yourself and where to sort of give yourself space? Yeah. I mean, that's hard because many of us and probably a lot of listeners are socialized already to believe they're selfish and that taking care of themselves or focusing on their own wellness is not okay. And 
in our culture of hyper self-helpness, it can go to the point of like, I haven't had enough self-care today, so I can't actually listen to you, which then becomes non-productive. Right, exactly. We have to show up for ourselves <laughs> and other people. Both things happen in concert. Mm-hmm. We show up for ourselves and take care of ourselves physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, uh, there's probably one more, mentally, right? <laughs> so you sort of check in with these different aspects of your life, but being of service to other people is part of that cyclical self-care. If the communities around you are well, that supports your overall wellness. And an, a major clinically supported antidote to depression is being of service to another person. So volunteerism, helping someone actually helps pull a person out of their own depression, hmm. which sometimes we're using self-care to try to treat that depression, rightfully so, but adding service can actually help you too. So I'd say start with yourself, but don't forget step two is now how can I be of service to someone else? Right, which sounds like in some ways the perfect advice for 2017 where it's like, I'm depressed because the world is terrible. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's like if the antidote to the depression and in some ways the antidote to the world is terrible problem is getting active about it. Getting active. And I would say personally reading history, I read a lot of history to help pull me out of the we are in a crisis in some ways we're always in and not in a crisis you know so just reading for instance Doris Kearns Goodwin read about other presidencies read about global history I'm reading right now about the 5,000 year history of Jerusalem and because when you read about history you actually see the longer arc of okay humanity is going toward this bend of uh, more liberation for more people, more and more people are citizens of their countries, there's less violence, less disease. The overall arc of history is good. It's just the present that we're in, this moment is really bad. So with that, selecting an issue or an area that Mm -hmm. affects you and one that doesn't affect you, a lot of people I encounter are like, no way. I, I have like six things I'm focusing on. There's no way I could choose. And that's totally fair. So what I recommend to those people is identify a skill or a resource that you can replicate over and over and over again to a lot of different areas you want to be of service to, whether that's giving money or offering a free service to organizations in your city that service those people or ideas or issues. Or in Los Angeles, people tend to have more space than other cities that I've lived Mm -hmm. in. So if you have a a space that people could meet in, why not make it the sort of emergency meetup impromptu space for a number of organizations that they could use? Or you're the person who always brings the PA system to a march for several different issues. You can think of things that can be replicated over and over. Yeah, I love that. And um, one of the other things I was going to ask about, as you mentioned in this booklet, directly asking organizations and people you want to be of service to, what do you need? What do you need? Yeah. You don't have to guess. <laughs> this is radical to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, those of us who've ever worked for nonprofits or in any kind of activism, it's really hard when somebody contacts you and says, hey, we have 20 volunteers that are going to come for the day on Friday. Can you have them do something? And you're like, no, there's nothing I can make right. your 20 adults do for a day. So yeah, just ask people first what they need. You know, I immediately send in, I'm, I'm on this email list of all these female abortion provider docs in the US who were thinking about how to rally. So I contacted the coalition. I can't think of the name of it right now. We can look it up. But it's the coalition that sort of oversees all the abortion funds across the US. They kind of coordinate them all. And I The National con- Network of Abortion Funds? Yes. And <laughs> I love that organization. They're great. And so I contacted them and said, hey, I know all these docs that are sort of loosely connected. Maybe 
we can sort of have a phone call meeting to figure out what do you need and what do they need and how can we be of service to each other here. So asking a group, no matter how formal or informal, whether it's a giant national nonprofit or if it's a local collective who's doing great activism you admire, just say, what do you need? How can I be of service to you? Right. That's a great way also of not placing your imperialist beliefs about what they need onto them like let them tell you they'll tell you if they need body power if they need money if they need equipment if they just want you to show up and listen they'll tell you exactly what they need right and um and often like in organizations or places that are really strapped especially in this moment they're not going to be so organized that they're sending out a blast email of like a bullet list of this is what we need i think sometimes it's on us to ask and say absolutely how can i be of service to your organization or to this collective group what can i do and then when they tell you, decide if you can do it. Right. I mean, yeah, which goes back to the like, what do you have time you and have resources to give? for? What don't you have to give? Yeah, totally. You know, and finally, you, you know, you have this note about organizing with small groups. I mean, I think that right now, one thing that's happening is a lot of a lot of groups of politically like-minded friends are probably hanging out or talking to each other about their feelings of frustration or agitation or like wanting to get involved. What would you tell people who, be they, be they artists or not, be they already sort of activists or not, who, who have a group of like three to five friends, colleagues who really care? What, what would you say to those folks to do with that? I, I really believe three competent, committed people can pretty much do anything <laughs> for real. Like <laughs> three, all you need is three to five people and you can make anything happen. So if you have a group of people that you want to take the conversation out of just your little friend group in your living room, or you want to actualize something, you could follow the same guidelines. So does this group of three to five want to help implement something really big for an issue, an organization you care about? Do you want to be of service in some impactful way that goes beyond a reverberating dialogue among you? Which is fine too, Mm -hmm. because you can also use those small groups to have each individual go out into the world and do the work they want to do and then have a group to show up to and report to Mm -hmm. an accountability group, you know, somebody who that's these weekly groups I'm holding in Los Angeles very much can act like that where people say, here's what I'm doing for myself and other people this week. And I'm going to report back to you next week and let you know how it's going or ask questions or give advice. So that small group of five, if they don't want to work in the world as a coalition, then they can help each other amplify their impact. Right. Yeah, and and setting a little bit of formality to it. Like we are a group of people who are all working on maybe individually or maybe together and um and we're not just going to talk about it, we're going to report in. I love that idea. Yeah, it's like going to the gym with another person is so much easier. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so same thing with every time I've ever done almost every time before this election that I've done phone banking it's because I went with someone else to do phone banking during an election cycle this is a thing where you you don't have to do it on your own we're not going to get anything done on our own so certainly if you know you want to be active in a cause this year and you have somebody else in your life who really does too do it together just use that resource of friendship and accountability uh yes tell us where um we can find more information on your weekly groups um, where we can find this amazing booklet about making art during fascism and where we can learn about all of the great things you're doing. Absolutely. My weekly group in Los Angeles is free and it's at the Women's Center for Creative Work, which you can find easily online from 1 to 3 p.m. on Sundays, every Sunday. So this Sunday, January 8th and every Sunday in um Uh, for a few months at least. As long as it seems to be of service to people, I'll do it. And you can find me at my 
website, Beth Pickens, P-I-C-K-E-N-S dot com. After the election, I made a pamphlet called Making Art During Fascism, which is a really useful tool for artists and non-artists, people who are sort of feeling lost after the election of how to get started and what to do next. And if you go to my website, you can request a copy and I will send you a PDF copy of this. I guess you could call it a zine. You print it out like a zine, fold it, and, and then you're free to disseminate it to your friends too. Yeah, your first action is printing and folding the Making Art During Fascism <laughs> zine. It's like a really helpful like uh, first step. <laughs> and I also have a radio show on Keichung, which only has a listening radius of maybe a square mile in Chinatown in Los Angeles. But you can go to Keichung's website. And the name of my radio show is Making Art During Fascism, in which I invite an artist activist and I interview them for an hour about how they balance having a practice and being an activist, how they've done it historically, how they do it now. And you can listen. All of the all of the shows on Keichung are archived, so you can listen to old episodes there. But it's live the third Thursday of every month at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And the website is keichungradio.org. Oh, thank you so much, Beth, for all of your work and for being here. Oh, thank you for your podcast. I'm a longtime listener. Oh, man. 2017. What a year. It's like all of your goals last year were like sleep more, exercise more. And this year, your goal is like dismantle fascists. <laughs> I know. It's really funny. Like the like try not to have the same problem as 2016, i.e. like electing a fascist dictator and like wanton police violence. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is like when um, hot daddy Von Trapp is like uh, like tearing the Nazi flag in their driveway. <laughs> like this is the moment that we're all having. Uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously not the last conversation that we're going to have about this, but I think like the other theme of this year is, is turn to your friends who are smarter about some things than you are, which, um, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm certainly going to try to do. That's right. Let's all resist together. With Stedman. <laughs> With, <laughs> listen, <laughs> Stedman, Stedman is going to be my shining light this year. I am clinging on to his every word. <laughs> You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on iTunes, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look that up for yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delbeck. See you on the internet. <laughs> Have the best new year and see you on the internet, boo-boo. All year long. <laughs> <laughs>